Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is uh, great to be together this morning and welcome uh, everyone. As we uh, begin, I want to do two things. Uh, one is I want to, uh, first of all, just acknowledge um, what we're going to be doing uh, today uh, is going to probably stir up some things. And so I want us to prepare for that uh, just in our own uh, kind of internal worlds and maybe some of the things that we have, we have dealt with as we start talking about this idea of care and what it means. Uh, before I do that, I just want to uh, take a moment and I uh, just remember, uh, you know, our friends uh, down in Florida. I know a lot of folks. We have church, you know, pastors, friends there, and also um, our our friends from Convoy of Hope are down there. They were texting me yesterday or uh, Friday, um, heading down, and just all the different d- dynamics of. And I just remember very vividly what that was like uh, being here in those first days after Hurricane Florence. And I, I just don't ever forget it. And so whenever it happens, you try to enter in and. Um, we're just very fortunate to have a, a partnership like Convoy uh, where they just, they prop churches up. They do so much great work uh, to help and not just bring supplies and that, but they really do bring hope. And that is such a powerful thing, especially among the devastation. They're not just in Florida. They're also in Puerto Rico still. They just, they're um, just an amazing job. We're very fortunate to partner with them. And so I do want to pause and pray for them. And I also want to pray for us um, as we think about um, kind of what it means to be cared for, what kind of care we need, our approaches to that. Um, I think it's safe to say we live in sort of what would be considered a crisis of mental health. And it just keeps getting avalanched down on the next generation, which means that what we um, do, what we are willing to do actually matters um, tremendously. And so as we talk about things this morning, um, the way in which you process this, each of us might vary depending on our experience. And so I just want for us to hear this in a way um, that is redemptive and hopeful and um, that you'll walk out of here um, feeling as though there's something that you can actually do and that there's tremendous hope uh, for you wherever you might be. And so all I can do uh, is start the series today unless I wanna be here till tonight. Um, so I'm going to stop at a certain point and we're going to have to process it. Okay. So there'll be a lot more questions in some ways than answers. We're going to spend the next four weeks on that. So I just want us to hear it. And I want us to have the grace and the patience required for us to hear it as this unfolds over the next few weeks. Is that good? Can we do that? Um, Father, I just thank you for the day. Um, we certainly want to think about, uh, or pray for our friends in Florida, uh, Puerto Rico, um, specifically with a hurricane, the devastation that it brought, the unsettledness that, that occurs. Um, for those churches that um, I remember just feeling like, you know, overwhelmed and could we really help people and that you just were so faithful to use us and you'll do the same thing uh, down in Florida, that they not only bring food and water and kind of debris removal, but they bring tremendous hope. What a powerful thing for uh, us to get to be a part of. We thank you for that. Um, We also want to pause and just ask you to uh, just be gracious to us. Um, There are those in this room who have struggled and continue to struggle very deeply. And perhaps today they show up um, hanging by a thread. Would, Would that thread be so firm and solid 
and pulling uh, us back to you to understand um, your intention for us, your love for us, and therein this hope that we have to be a part of something um, together that reflects that and it provides for us a place of not just spiritual formation, but um, healing. So I ask you to do that, uh, to speak to us this morning, that my words would become your words as your spirit um, just speaks to us. And so I lift all this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen. I thank you for that. Sometimes that's more for me than it is for you, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Um, we've just finished, uh, we've been talking about for the last, uh, this whole fall run, talking about our reach. And our reach is, you know, essentially what we are willing to care about and what we are willing to do about what we care about. And um, we've been talking about this in these three sort of buckets or three cans that I opened up uh, a few weeks ago of connection, care, and goodness. And we spent the last weeks talking about connection and connections are around anything. What we're specifically talking about is this, that connection is to exchange life. That's how we've been defining it. It's to exchange life with one another as we trust enough to live safely within the care of our community or safely in the care of another human being. To trust them enough to avail ourselves to them, to live safely within the care of another human being, which then opens up sort of the next iteration, which is this idea of care. I remember one of the meanest things that you could say to someone when you were a kid, right? When you would start telling a story, one of your friends would say, who cares? And it was just basically a cleaver that says, no one cares about anything that you have to say or offer, so just be quiet. And it's, I wouldn't even say it's funny when you're in middle school because it's not, it's actually tragic in middle school. But I remember there are things that probably that stuck with me. There were things like that that happened. And so there's this sense. And, and so when you think about care, right, it, it, we, we all have this idea. There's, there's care for a lot of different things. There's customer care. If you call to cancel your cable, you'll find out what that's about. Um, the whole funny story that I can't tell you right now. Um, but there's, there, and, and so as a church, right, there's an, there's an aspect of care, pastoral care. There's, uh, care in terms of our health and care in terms of our mental health. All these are sort of things that are part of how we think about the world around us and how we respond to or how we see ourselves as needing care. The challenge is for most of us is that we subtly believe that if we were strong enough, right, we would be self-sufficient and therein we wouldn't need this kind of care. And so you sort of subtly default to thinking that care is basically when you have done everything that you can do and you still can't get yourself together, then you go and you get some help. And while that's important, don't get me wrong, I think there's a different way for us to think about this. What we are designing, what we've been talking, this sort of radical assumption, if you will, of what I believe about the church, a lot of what I'm gonna share this morning uh, has been rumbling around in my head and my heart for the better part of 20 years. Because when you were starting the church, we knew we had a responsibility to care for our congregation. And at the time I was 29 years old, I had very little idea what that meant. Um, we also had a lot of partners with um, counselors and other people in our area, so we'd often refer, and those are all great strategies. But this sense still um, haunted me about how would we be a place. And so over the last two decades, uh, things have been sort of taking shape and they're not concluded yet or finalized yet by any stretch of the imagination, but there is more clarity around this 
than what I had 20 years ago, which thankfully to everybody, right? That's a good thing. Um, so I want, to, I want us to walk through this. And when we think about this, this idea that we're called to live or to exist in this place where we can connect with one another, exchange life with one another, right? We can offer ourselves to one another, that we, save, we live safely within this, this connected place, this place that what we would call as a church community, or we call a place where we can offer ourselves and exchange life with one another. And it's this sort of beautiful picture of this. And what you would think is then when you're sitting in this circle, there are reasons why you belong in this circle, right? You would know that. We talked about this the last few weeks. There are reasons why you feel like these connections are strong. When we start talking about sort of a broader way for us to exchange and offer ourselves, you also have another list that sort of creeps up. And this is reasons why you don't belong. These are all the reasons why you think that, oh, if they knew this about me, then I wouldn't be able to sit here as freely as I am. And so what we do is we go, in order to belong, I need to go and get myself together. And then once I get myself together, then I can return here and now I can feel like I belong again. And so this, this idea, I think we have this in reverse. We've been talking about this, right? The radical assumption of this is that what if, what if we were created? What if God wired us and made us in a way that we were actually intended to belong and that in that belonging, we would actually become who we've been created to be? Most of us, again, we just keep, we, we pull away and we come over here. We use all sorts of tools. We come over here to get ourselves together. Maybe you just need to take some time to yourself. Maybe you need to see a therapist or get some help. And listen, please understand, all of these are great strategies. If you need help, get help. We have great mental health professionals in our congregation. We work with counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists all the time we refer. Please know, we, we believe that is a critical part of getting the kind of help that people need along the way. But what I want to suggest is that the whole point of what God is doing, I want us to think of this a little bit differently, is not for you to get yourself together in order to belong, but perhaps it's that you and I would learn to belong, and in doing so, we would actually find who it is that we've been created to be. That perhaps getting yourself together at some particular understanding or vision that you have for yourself isn't actually a real thing. Maybe there is no getting yourself together. Maybe it's for you to become who you've been created to become. And that would be enough. That would be something for you to be whole, to be who you have been created to be. Would that be possible? Could that be possible for you and for us? Care isn't this idea that you have to be fixed. That's how most, I just need to fix this problem. I need to not struggle with this anymore. There are things that I have prayed over and over again. God, would you, if, if I would feel so much better about myself, if I just didn't struggle with this, if this weren't a thought pattern, if this weren't something that sort of threatened to undermine me every time I turn around. And you know what? Over the years, some of those things have not gone away. And, and what I've resolved is that somehow, either it's debilitating and it forfeits me from God's intended use or somehow in God's miraculous grace and goodness, it becomes a part of how I depend and learn on him. What the apostle Paul wrote about this, he said, God, I've entreated you for this thorn in my flesh to be removed. And you said, no. And the answer was that I want you to understand that my grace is sufficient for you, that it is 
my power is perfected in your weakness. And what this is, is this idea of care for you and I isn't because you're needy, it's because you're human. And to need care isn't somehow a, a diminishing thing. It's actually a normal part of what it means to live in a relationship, a healthy relationship. It's a normal part of re the relational experience. We often perceive this as when we need something from another person, that's the thing that prevents us from actually connecting well. But it's actually the thing that allows us to connect in meaningful ways that allow us to become who we are. We have to sort of pay attention to how we approach this. It's a normal part. Care to be cared for is foundational to what it means to live in trusted, formative, connected relationships or community, to live safely within the care of another. So over the years, this has come from Ephesians chapter uh, four. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And y'all know that over the years, um, I've developed this oversimplified way to describe or to draw or diagram who we are as humans. We spent the last few weeks drawing these heart men. We actually have, I kind of think of us as having three components uh, that we are built with a heart, sort of our, our soul, our inward part, a mind, and then our bodies. And they don't often cooperate with each other. True? I mean, dude, you watch some of those fitness shows on TV and you are so motivated to get up and do something. And so you get up and you get a bag of potato chips and you get comfortable on the couch and you just watch it. And dude, you feel it in here. You know it in here, but you're like, dude, this is too comfortable. So there, there's, a way, there's, there's a way in which we live and exist and are that is just hard. It, there's, just, there's just a lack of cooperation at times between them. Sometimes we're so discouraged in here, or sometimes we're so anxious in here, right? And all these things are related to one another. And what Paul is talking about in this letter to his, this church in Ephesus, he's given them instructions. He's talking about the grace that has been given us in the gospel and the hope of the gospel. And then he says that in this sort of connection here and what's happening, and this is not just me and you or two of us, this is us as a whole. But what's happening between us is that we will no longer remain as we are. We won't just remain, he uses the phrase infants, that there'll be a maturing to who we are. We won't, be, we won't remain infants. We won't remain as we are, tossed around and tricked by everything that sort of lures us into thinking this will satisfy or this will satisfy or this is the way or blown by the wind from one thing to the other. That every time something happens, we're just bounced around from one thing to the next. There's an immaturity in that. There's no settledness, no stability in us. And so Paul says, this is one way in which that we're gonna end up living if we're not careful. He says, you know, we're, we, we've, we, we can't just live as infants anymore. There's gotta be something required of us. And then he says, instead of being blown around and tricked by everything that comes along, instead, look at what he says. Let's read this together. Instead of being blown around, what does he say to do? You can say it out loud. Speak the truth in love. And I always tell people, man, if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your favorite verse, we need to talk. So that's, I just speak the truth in love. It's like, kaboom. <clears throat> because what you think is that to speak the truth in love means what you intend for that person. 
So it keeps going. We just need to read this together. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. He is talking about our source. We spent the last few weeks talking about this, the source, that life is gonna come from him into our, into us, this body, and that as we live and act and work together, something is gonna happen, and the mechanism for us is very clear. Let's read this again together. The first thing we have to do is to do what? You have to actually say something. You have to speak, and what do you have to speak? You don't just speak you know, good advice or trite sayings. You speak truth. You speak truth. And when I think about this, we often think that to speak the truth in love means, well, I love you, so I'm just gonna say whatever I'm gonna say. And to speak the truth in love is actually this, this place. It's this, this safe place. The way it would be described perhaps biblically is a covenant people, covenant promise. It's this space where we exist within, in his love. And so we speak the truth in love. It is in the context of this place. Most all of us have heard about relational boundaries. And what we tend to think, especially people who feel bad about imposing boundaries on other people, is you think the boundaries are sort of this thing that you create in order to keep a, I gotta be consistent here, right? In order to keep a person out. And that's not what boundaries are at all. A boundary establishes the place within which we are going to exist in a healthy way. And you create a boundary and say, in this space, we're gonna operate in a healthy way. We're gonna learn how to speak to one another. We're gonna learn how to bear truth with one another. We're gonna learn how to be discerning enough to understand, to speak truth in this context. And if you are unwilling to come into this place, we cannot then have the thing that we're all looking for. And there are lots of people who are unwilling to come into places of health to have the kind of relationships that we long to have. That's a true thing. So what we have to learn how to do is how do we learn to live in this place? We speak the truth in love, right? So that we become, and it's interesting, put verse 14 back up there. It says to speak the truth in love, or or sorry, verse 15, sorry. I speak the truth in love. If we speak the truth in love, look what happens. What's the pronoun there? Y'all remember pronouns from like eighth grade? What's the pronoun? It's we, the, the earlier service couldn't get it. I had to like go, is it present, is it uh, present, uh, singular, or is it plural? Instead, speaking the truth in love, what's the pronoun? We. We. A lot of us, we interpret this verse and we say, I'm gonna speak the truth in love so that you, I'm gonna speak the truth in love so that you are able to get this. And it says, oh no, no, we speak, we learn this so that we will grow and that we will become this full measure. Keep reading. From him, from Christ, the source, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows. And this was the phrase that just has, has kind of you know, gripped me over the years. It builds itself up. And here it is again, in love, in this place, 
as each part cooperates and participates and takes responsibility. You see what this is about? Like from him, this whole thing is working and it is inside of the space. Something happens that builds and matures and causes us to grow up in the fullness of this place as what? As each part is willing to take responsibility. You know what this means for you, right? It means that you have a part to play in the healing of our world. It means you have a part to play in extending yourself to another person as imperfect as you are. The problem is that a lot of us have had something happen. Listen, we live in a culture. We live in a culture that is rampant with the kind of things that human, and again, I don't wanna say this is different than any other time in history because I don't know that it is, but it is certainly prevalent. We have people who have been abused physically and emotionally and sexually. And in those experiences, right, something happens to you. There's something that occurs within you that says, I can't belong here. There's something that begins to separate you from others. And whether it's fear of being found out because if anyone ever found out, right, what you thought or what you did or whatever it was, then you would never belong. Or sometimes it's shame. It's interesting, and maybe it's not interesting, it's a sad reality that typically people who have had something done to them feel more shame than someone who has done something to someone else. Shame is wicked like this. It makes you think that somehow you deserved or if you would have been not that, then this, then this wouldn't have happened. And, it's just, and it just continues to separate and deteriorate and it's lies and it just adds to the pressure that if you could just get yourself together enough, then perhaps you could belong once again. But what if it's in the context of this place where we become? There's been a lot of research on this. Uh, a psychoanalyst, he's written a lot about trauma and suffering. His name is uh, Robert Stolero. He writes this. He said, suffering isn't what causes trauma. Experiencing suffering alone is. Trauma is when severe emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which to be held. This is why you can't afford to live like this and you can't afford to allow people to live like this. There's something that, that needs to happen in us. It's interesting, and this is, this is being observed all over by psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health workers and sociologists. Um, Alice Miller is a psychologist. She observes this. This is what she observes. She says that most adults pick up from their childhood, quote, the art of not experiencing feelings. And she goes on to describe what it would mean to experience things that we feel. She says this, the way a child experiences their emotions is by having someone present who accepts them and understands them. To have someone in it with you, to sort of live in this space where all of us are going to experience something that makes us want to run 
All of us are gonna experience something that makes us want to hide. All of us are gonna experience something that makes us feel ashamed. And the wickedness of sin and what it does is it always separates, it always tries to pull us back from this. And so I've been reflecting, I was trying to think about this and say, what can we do? Because therapy requires or, or provides a critical context for healing to begin. If you're here and you are in therapy or seeing someone in counseling, listen, we do, a, we, we, I can't overstate this enough. It is unbelievably helpful and we are happy to help you get connected. It is an important context for healing. But what if this were the place that you would become whole? Let me ask you a question. Because some of you have been through something, right? You, and you struggle with it and it's, it's deep and it's real. Do you believe that you could be whole once again? Like what would it mean if you could believe that you could be whole once again? Do you know why? Because we do, I do. I do believe that you can be whole, that you can find wholeness, you can become who you have been created to be even though you have experienced that. So I was looking at this and trying to, you know, another passage that's pretty, pretty famous. Um, and it just says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And I was just thinking about this in the last couple of weeks and I wrote it down in my journal. I was like, let me just look at this again. 1 Peter 5, seven, a lot of you probably memorized this. It says, cast your cares, all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we go, oh, that's such a cool passage. I'm gonna put it on my coffee mug, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares. Put some flowers around it. Doesn't it sound pretty and nice? But think about what it says. Like, put it back up and let's read it together. Cast all of your anxiety on him. What is the impetus or what is the reason why you would feel like you could cast what you were feeling onto him? What's the reason? Because why? Because he cares. And what you begin to see is that our capacity to care, so perhaps, right, if that's what compels us to cast our anxieties onto him, perhaps as his image bearers, that could be the same thing that would allow someone else to feel like they could say what they are dealing with to you or to me or to us. We often think that we've got to have like the right answer or be some, all you have to do is care enough for them to trust you enough to avail, to offer something to you. That somehow when we care for another person, it draws them out of themselves and into this community. And the opposite happens, right? When you don't feel like someone cares, it pulls you away from them and it moves you into yourself. Right? When you're isolated, you just get more and more in your head, don't you? You ever done this before? The more you get removed, you just get more and more in your head. You overthink, you're con- and it just it's just a ball of anxiety. It's just, it just ratchets the pressure up. But to be cared for might draw you in It might draw you in and then out so that you too might cast your burden, what you're feeling on another. The problem is most of us feel like if we're doing that, right, we're undermining healthy community instead of thinking that you're actually participating in healthy community. It's a different way to think. And let me tell you, this is a struggle. This is a struggle because it is hard for us to imagine ourselves different than we are, right? Right? 
from what you've been through, what you've experienced. And what we have to do is you have to learn how to cultivate space, to create some ways for us to do this. The way we define care is like this. Care is cultivating the space where we can avail ourselves to one another in order to belong. But make no mistake about it, also to become. For us to live in love means that we are being built up. We are no longer like we were, but we are becoming. And a lot of us think that we should be able to become, that to become, to change, to grow should be easy. And then when something isn't easy, it's hard when it threatens our comfort. We feel like sort of that's then the wrong approach instead of just embracing what it is. It's a difficult thing for us to press into, to learn, to struggle through. We have to trust each other enough to struggle in this. It is in the context of love that we become. And what we wanna do is we wanna cultivate these spaces where we can avail ourselves to one another too in order to do that. You can come and show up just like you are, just like you are in order to become the way we, God has created you to be. Let's read this together. If we try to love people in ways that disregard God's authority, his word, message, and the patterns of the kingdom, we are off course from the start. This is really important. We are talking about the source of God's love and his image, and we are aligning ourselves with the Lordship of Jesus. If we don't get that part, everything else is just gonna become self-help and helping you feel better about yourself and not hurting in our gut until Christ is formed in one another. We go on, it says, first we love God, but then our love for God must lead to us loving others. God is love. People living in the world's patterns tend to wander, right? Don't we do that? following whatever authority captures their attention, but God has designed the universe to operate in a particular way. And to ignore God's design is to live against the grain. To ignore the way that God has created us to live is to live against the grain, and it brings all sorts of suffering to the world and to us. It separates, it divides, it isolates, it produces shame. In order for us, for you, to confront your shame, to confront whatever it is that keeps you separated, is going to require courage. There's a young lady named K.J. Ramsey. She's written a couple of books. One is called um, uh, This Too Shall Last, and it's about suffering. And the other book is um, called uh, The Lord Is My Courage. And then it, she talks about this courage to enter in and to connect, and that courage um, is really connected to um, how, or that, that connecting and care is connected to courage. She says this, courage is choosing to let your life match your worth. And to God, your worth is infinite. Belovedness is your birthright. Wholeness is the aim of a person who is practicing the willingness to let every part of their body, story, and life align with the truth, right? with the truth of how beloved they are. If you struggle with shame, which most of us either do or have, and you show up and someone tells you that you are worthy and that you matter, guess what your first response is gonna be? I don't believe that. And sometimes what you need 
is for other people to believe that for you long enough for you to continue to find the courage to believe that the worth that God has given you, right, is actually true for you. You need people to speak the truth in this context that God came to you and he came for you and that Jesus came to bring you the life for which you have been created to live. It's not about going, checking the box, made that decision when I was five. It's about entering into it and hearing that in this context until we all become, until it takes root and it starts to form you, starts to shape you. So here's what I want for us to do. Here's sort of our posture um, in this. Our stories of abuse or trauma often determine the way in which we operate in this world, right? You know that Kurt Thomas, uh, Thompson wrote a book. Um, it's called The Soul of Desire. And he describes this pressure that we feel when something has happened in us. He describes it this way, the pressure of being whatever role your shame or trauma has had you playing in order to regulate the effect that you have on other people. Like whatever your shame or your trauma is always making you calculate how an interaction is gonna go, how relationships are gonna go, and what you need to withhold in order to make sure it goes well. Does that make sense? And we are, we are called to enter into this place where God's love has authority and rule. And in the entering into that place, right, we learn. So what we're talking about is what can we do? We talk about providing care for one another. Here's four things I'm gonna give you as we kind of wrap this up. Number one is you have to see God's image. To look at another human being, if you're gonna be on the, it, it, this takes, obviously, it, it is, this only occurs as each part does its work. As you and I take responsibility, it's shared risk, it's shared responsibility. But to see God's image in another person, I don't mean see their potential. A lot of people do that. It's to see them as a human being who has been made in the image of God, to see them in their beauty and in their worth and to speak to those parts of them. And so Mike, how do you do this? You pray. You pray, say, Lord, can you help me discern that the challenge of speaking the truth in love is not just that you are giving them facts about what you know to be true. You're speaking them of things about things that you have heard and seen and sensed from God into their soul. So number one is to see God's image. Number two is you have to work to remove the distance. You need to understand that every time you are dealing with another human being who is struggling with trauma or chronic shame or any of these things, there is always going to be distance and that person is often going to work to preserve that distance. Not because they're mean, because that's what shame, that's what sin, is. it is the wickedness of sin that separates, right? That's what it is. And you work to remove the distance. You have to cultivate space for people to come close. This is why, to me, the gospel matters. Because the gospel is what allows us to live as those who've been forgiven. The gospel absorbs shame. 
right? The gospel is what, is, is what God has done to demonstrate his love for us, for you and your worth. And the gospel is what promises the redemption, the return of all things, even the worst things that have happened. That somehow, some way, beauty emerges from the ashes of sort of a violated soul. Number three, and this is a good one, to listen without fixing, right? Isn't that clever? Listen without fixing, with no G. It's important you write it like that. But what this does, because this is, this is why most people struggle to enter in with someone else because you're afraid that you won't know what to do. And because you, it's not that you don't care, it's just that you don't know how to care. And you know, my experience is, is men tend to struggle with this more than women because they always want to know, they think you're asking for advice or need to know what to do. And what you have to do is you just have to resolve to listen without trying to fix someone. There are things that have happened to you and the people that you know that will never be fixed. They won't be fixed. It will leave a measure of brokenness in a person, in a relationship. The reason the gospel is so powerful is because it takes those broken things and it redeems them. It causes them to have some substance to them that forms and forges the wholeness that God is bringing into our lives. So you have to learn how to listen without the pressure to fix another person. And what that leads to, and this is why I would write this, is number four is you offer courage. A lot of people would say, oh, you just encourage someone. And when we think of encouraging, it means you say nice things to them. Oh, God will use this. This will turn out. God never allowed, he, he never puts anything more on you than you can handle, which is not actually in the Bible, by the way. And we say things like this to encourage or to say that we're encouraging someone. But in those moments, in this setting, what you do is you offer courage. Sometimes you need to be courage for someone who can't. You need to sit with someone long enough to believe that they're not alone. You don't need a single word. There are people who come and their shame says, most people who struggle with shame or trauma have all had someone pull away from them because of what they shared or what they made known. And sometimes what they need is to someone say, we ain't going anywhere. We're gonna sit here until you believe that you're not alone in this. We're gonna sit here until you believe that you are worthy of my time. I have people who tell me all the time, people who say, hey, I need something or I call something, they, they apologize I'm sorry, I shouldn't need this from you. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, 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 this is, this is one of the privileges of being human is to shoulder a burden and to step into circumstances with other people. I'm not going anywhere. And you have to help them believe that they are worthy of your time and your attention and your life because they are. Some of you need to hear that this morning because you are. You need someone to see you, right? And to start to remove the space that is keeping you distant so that you can belong in such a way that you become who you've been created 
to become. We have to learn how to live safely within the care of one another. That's going to take some guts, and it's going to take some courage. That's part one of four. All right? Father, you are good, and you are kind. You are gracious. You are slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And God, we live in a broken world where broken human beings have done horrendous things to other human beings. Some of us are on both sides or either side of those of that category. Probably know that shame runs rampant. Trauma runs deep. And I ask that you would allow us, cause us, form us into a kind of people in love where emotional pain can be safely held. God, would you build trust, little trust, in the hardest of places that we might begin to discover that as we belong, we find more and more hope that we can become the kind of people you intend for us to be whole and free and full. Father, I thank you that you have promised that, that your love is relentless in that, and would you use us as your body to be a more complete and a more accurate reflection of that. And so I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.